podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. A midnight caller special on the Anfield app, Neil Atkinson and John Gibbons. Going to be joined in a second by Les Motherby. Les is part of the Amber Nectar podcast, which won Club Podcast of the Year at the FSF Award last night. Uh, we were nominated in that category as well. Uh, so we wanted the opportunity to, ch- to chat to Les, firstly about the podcast, but more importantly about Hull as a whole and the situations under the alarms uh, and go from there with him. So Les, first and foremost, congratulations on the win. Thank you very much. It was uh, certainly unexpected. I think we'd only tipped up for the free bows. And, uh, <laughs> you're not alone there, Les. Silverware was uh, something that comes quite unusual when you're a Hull City fan. I thought you looked the best, I'd say, as well. If I could give an award out for uh, for, for, for get-ups, you'd have got that as well. Uh, for people who weren't there, have a look at the photos. You, you, you basically dressed like it was like Hull City were in the cup final and you were like kind of di- <laughs> di- directors of the club. Would that be fair? <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very much so, Les. That was there. That 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 was how it looked. That award is also curiously heavy. I, I remember at the time just thinking, "Don't trip up the stairs." <laughs> <laughs> that, 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 that was that was pretty much my only thought at that point. Is uh, yeah, we we haven't prepared anything to say. Matt might say something stupid. He often does, <laughs> and I'm worried I might fall flat on my face in front of James Richardson, who's been a bit of a hero of mine for for twenty years. <laughs> um, Excellent. Well, we want to what get... I didn't do is tell him that every time I go on holiday to Italy, I take a picture of me staring at a copy of Gazzetta della Sport <laughs> to, uh, to, mim- to mimic what he did. But I, I didn't think he'd found that cool. I, I know. I, every time I, I I'll, if I go to Rome or something, I'll get a coffee and I'll I, I'll like pretend that, that you know there's a camera there with the notes go. Oh hi. <laughs> <laughs> that, that sort of but, thing. But, um, but do you go with the cake as well? Because it's the cake that solves the look, I think. <laughs> <laughs> or gelato. Um, so, Les, what you were talking last night, and you were on the stage, and you you, you were you were you know recalling because it's a funny thing when you when you do what we do, everything can be quite Premier League focused, and we try to do a show on lower leagues, and we we try to be aware of the issues. But you know, you rightly sort of brought into focus what it is that's happening mm. at Hull City uh, for everyone in the room, and I thought it was quite you know it was it was it was it was good to hear. Uh, to be quite honest with you, we've got a. You know, let's. I want you sort of take our listeners through this, through the journey of this now, as has been for the last sort of six to twelve months since relegation. What what mm. progress, if any, has there been dealing with what's happening at the top of the club? Not not much, because uh, you know the club probably comes less saleable um, with, with us not being in the Premier League anymore, um, and and also. The the owners seem to just take the the attitude of oh well we'll just we'll just take the parachute payments because since relegation we've sold every single player that would command a fee, um, you know we got to the point where we sold Robin we we knew that Robertson was going for you, um, but we decided to to also let go Josh Tymon, who was the player who could plug the gap at left back when he left. Now, one of the few things you can praise the Alums for is they have actually invested some money in the academy setup, and, and historically, we've we've really never put any money in that whatsoever. And Josh Timon was the very first player to, to effectively graduate from the academy after that initial investment. And we knew Robertson was going. We knew that Timon, who was a local lad, will probably start every game in the championship. And we decided that we weren't going to offer him another deal until somebody else came in for him. 
And Stoke came in and said, right, we'll give you 1500 a week at a point, I think, when Hull City was maybe offering him 600 And when they'd said, well, would, would, you, would, you, uh, would you pay him a little bit more, they, they then offered him less, which was a signal <laughs> for the player to, to walk away. And you just, it's, it's hard. I, I've had this conversation with fans of other clubs before, and they just look at me as if I'm making things up. Cause it just sounds so preposterous that when you're just about to lose a left-back to Liverpool, you then effectively let a local-born left-back who's just graduated from your academy and just breaking into the first team, you just let him walk for, for nothing mm. and go to Stoke, where he probably knows he isn't going to play any football this season, whereas he, put, he, he, he would have... He would have been, you know, minded to stay at the club that he supports, you know, from his hometown and played every game this season. But we, we disrespected the player so much. He, we, we, we effectively forced him to go to Stoke. It's ridiculous. How much of, um, how much of the, the owners were, were a factor in, in you starting the podcast? Because obviously you, you use your platform to, to to raise awareness and speak to fans. And, and was it was it a, a big factor in, in you in you putting it together? No, I, th- I think it was just laziness, to be honest. Um, we've the, the we started off as a hard copy fanzine in 1998, so we'll be 20 years old in February. And um, you know, back then, one of us was a student; the other one was, didn't have a job, so we had that with all the time in the world to do it. And mm. you know, as, as sort of real life came in, we sort of switched it to more of a focus on the on the online presence. And even once again, when real life takes over, it's difficult to spend time writing detailed match reports of every game, previews of every game, opinion pieces that are a couple of, you know, maybe thousand words long. And we just thought, actually, getting in my spare room with its creaky chairs and just saying what we think is uh, is actually a lot easier than spending the time in front of a laptop and typing it. So it was probably expedience rather than a response to what was going on at the club with the Alums. On the on what's gone on with the club with the Alums, what's the it does is there a feeling within the supporters there's a way to there's a way to get rid of them? Is there a is there an energy? Is there a campaign? Is there a is there a set of ideas that people can get behind, or is has that been proven tough? I, I think that's something that the the fan base is absolutely racking its brain to to come up with because it just doesn't seem as if in this case the fans have got any any power. You know, I mean the. People are boycotting, you know, our attendances are, are plummeted, not just beyond, you know, attendances always go down when you when you get relegated from the Premier League to the Championship. But I would say historically, we always had, had like a hardcore in the Championship of 15,000 fans. And when we've been looking at the attendance figures recently, when you, when you actually adjust the announced figure for people who was in the ground and you take away the away fans, you may be looking at 11,000 people. And we've somehow lost... 4,000 hardcore fans and there are people who are saying I won't go back while the Alums are there yeah. but even that doesn't appear to have made any difference to them whatsoever because at the moment they can still they can still take the, the parachute payments because we, because we sold every player that's left the parachute payments there to be trouserable and it was interesting that the Times ran an article um, about this time last year where they said the Premier League were looking at making rule changes because they were worried and scrupulous owners would just pocket the, the parachute payments upon relegation and hilariously the, the, the article had a photograph of Asim Alam on it so they were, they were making a very clear link of what they thought was going to happen um, when yeah. we got relegated and that's how it's playing out exactly Is the is there any attempt from them to engage, re-engage with the club? I mean, it, the whole, the whole thing does, you know, appear to stem from bits and pieces of ridiculousness which were rejected by mm. the club into this, mm. into some sort of it, the, the worst. You know, there's, there's 
I think Blackburn are just atrociously run. And I think there's loads of issues around Blackburn, but I think Blackburn are atrociously run. There's something that feels from the outside on the whole story, almost as though people have just had tantrums. Almost as though they've gone, well, we're, yeah, yeah. we're, we're going we're gonna to punish you for this. Yeah, they haven't got their own way. Yeah, well, well, the, initial, the initial tantrum came because they bought the club thinking um, a club with a community-owned stadium built by the local council, they thought if we buy the club and promise to pay off some of the debt, the council will just give us a stadium. And I mean, that's a ridiculous notion anyway. It would yeah. be illegal because, because it was a capital asset built by by the local council, so the, the, the minimum they could do is sell it for its actual value, um, and, and they just weren't prepared to pay it. In fact, they did sort of, they never actually put in a formal bid to the council for the stadium, but they, they did get around the table and, and have a conversation about it, and I think they offered them like £250,000, and it's like, well, you can't buy a decent house for that, you know, why, why do you think you're going to get a stadium which at that point was only seven or eight years old and, you know, still a pretty, pretty good stadium. It, it was just a derisory offer. Um, and when it became clear to them that they weren't going to get given the stadium, that's when they thought, right, we'll change the name to Spite Hull City Council. We'll take away the name Hull City because we don't want it reflecting uh, reflecting on the council. When I remember being in a meeting with Asim Alam and he said, why didn't you, why didn't you go criticise the councillors if he expected us to go march on City Hall with pitchforks and Molotov cocktails because we wanted the, st- the council to give him the stadium. I remember being at this meeting saying, well, I don't want you to have the stadium. You know, we had a, we had a problem years ago where we had to leave Bullsbury Park, our old stadium, yep. because an unscrupulous owner had extricated the club uh, the, the stadium from the club, and we potentially found ourselves homeless. That's the entire reason the council stepped in and built a stadium anywhere, because they just had a windfall from the the flotation of the telecommunications company. Because in whole, we don't have BT. The the, the council owned its own telephone network. But they floated half of that on the stock exchange, and some of that windfall went into building the KC Stadium. So I certainly, I didn't want them to have the stadium because I've seen what happens before, and and given the spitefulness and the way they behave, it's a good job they don't have their hands on it. And then the next part of this becomes the arguments around the around the naming, and then the naming goes from mm-hmm. there, and then there's the reaction from the supporters and from the wider football community, and that leads us through the fullness of time to the squad being shown of so much at the start of last season, the almost great mm-hmm. escape from silver, which doesn't quite come off given where you were. It was a really, really good attempt. And that's what brings us to, mm. to the present day. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I, I still think the most, of all of the things they've done while they've been here, the most egregious is to remove concessions. Um, mm. they, they basically said that if you're a child or if you're a senior citizen, you're paying the same price as anybody else. And they've been criticised by that. They got censured. I think the Premier League was just hoping we got relegated so they didn't have to actually deal with it. But even after we got relegated, the Premier League did come out and say, look, you're breaking the Premier League rules. And if should you come back into the Premier League, we will not allow you in, um, you know, unless you, unless you restore concessions. So that has, it has prompted some sense of a conciliatory gesture where they'd all uh, arranged to meet supporters groups but the what they offered was was it was a fait to comply where they just wanted it rubber stamping where they said tell you what we won't make anybody's tickets cheaper we'll just add eight pounds to all of the the adult tickets and, and once again that's not a true concession that's yeah. just making more money i mean yeah. if they just said we'll tell you what we'll put the adult <laughs> prices up 
and that will subsidise decreases for children and seniors, that's great. I would volunteer to pay more money as a working adult so that children can afford to go, so that seniors who've been going years are going to go, but what they've offered... It's not a solution. It, it, it feels like uh, a Mickey take and, and people have seen through it. Um, on the pitch, insofar as it matters this season, I think it's obviously very important not to drop another flight uh, for the mm. for, for the all round health of the club because there's you know this 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 could go, could get so endlessly messy at that stage. At the minute, you're sitting just mm. above those relegation places. Um, you've you've actually been in quite the, your goal difference intrigues me in that it belies the position um, that that you're in or maybe yeah, the well, points. One of the top scoring teams in the division, which doesn't make sense for a team in twentieth place, does yeah. it really? But um, it just seems every time we play one of the teams below us, we put four or five past them. Um, so there, there does seem to be a bit of a gulf between us and the teams below us. But, you know, that that gulf can get eroded over time as confidence becomes more and more shown. And it seems to be at an absolute low ebb, especially when your manager is sort of saying, I actually don't know how to fix this. I'm considering my position. And you think, oh, this can't continue like this. Well, and he's gone now, hasn't he, Slutsky? He's yeah, uh, he's left yeah. left a couple of days I feel ago. Like he's gone done volition as well. I mean, he was a fascinating individual to watch because he <clears> patrols <throat> the touchline like a man who's about to vomit a basketball. I've never seen a manager <laughs> look so nervous. Uh, you know, you think he's going to have a coronary at any point, and even when we're winning, he, he doesn't seem to to, to, to cheer him up. Um, and you almost thought, well, he has to go for the sake of his health because he's not going to live much longer. I think maybe that's what the owners were hoping, that he might keel over and die on the sideline so they didn't have to pay him off. Um, it's, but, I mean, this is the point here, is that now, now you are managerless, rudderless. Um, you're in this position, as I say, you're at the foot of the championship. There may well be worse sides beneath you, but you can't afford to slip and to go. It's No. I mean, in these scenarios, I I do genuinely feel sorry for footballers. They're playing in front of smaller and smaller crowds. They've got all this chaos going on around them. They're mostly young lads, if we're all honest about it. They're all younger than me and you, Les. Now that I've met you, I can say that with certainty. Mm. And there is, <laughs> there, you know, there is they are themselves sort of in this workplace, if we just think of it as a workplace, which is just completely and utterly dysfunctional, and they're expected to perform pre- pretty close to the, the elite level of their sport in a week-in, week-out basis. Yeah, and, and that's the actual the actual irony is we've got a young player called um, oh, I really should uh, remember his name is is has been a, a, probably a really really decent player this season. Uh, Jared Bowen is a very young lad. Um, we picked him up cheaply from Hereford and brought him into our academy setup, and he's made the made the jump up to the first team, and he's been fantastic. He's uh, he's in double figures in goals already in a very poor team where the forward players are getting very little service from a lacklustre midfield, and the only thing I can put it down to is. He's a bit stupid, but in a good way. It's like he doesn't seem to be befouled by all of the chaos and dysfunction going around him. It's like it doesn't affect him. He just goes out and he plays his football, he plays it well, and he scores goals. It's incredible. So I'm actually pleased he doesn't pay attention. Um, I, I, I don't mean it in a disparaging way when I say he's a bit... Maybe maybe a bit thick that it's not not affecting him, but it, you know he's just got that confidence to just not let what's going on around him impact him, where you can see other players crumbling. Uh, you mentioned Andy Robertson before. We had an interesting chat about Andy Robertson last night, and I thought we mm. must do that on microphones at some point, so other people can share in, a, in you know in, 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 in what you kind of discussed because. Uh, I think there's a few Liverpool fans who are surprised he's not getting a, more of a game. But um, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm remembering this through white wine, Les. But uh, you were sort of suggesting that 
you know, he's he has got a lot to learn. There is a lot about his game, particularly defensively, that he needs to work on. And, you know, maybe Liverpool fans should be viewing him more as one for the future rather than somebody who come in now and perform at a Champions League level. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I mean, Hull City haven't been a team in the last couple of years um, that have developed players whatsoever. I mean, I mean, we're looking, we're currently looking for a fourth manager in, I think it's 350 days. So, it, you know, you you can't you can't develop players when there's that kind of well, we don't know who our manager's going to be yeah. from week to week. Um, and and so he he came down from Scotland from Dundee United, a very raw player. Um, and showed some some flashes of absolute wonderful talent. He certainly needs to develop in terms of his ability to defend. That's that's the weakest part of his game. But if you're playing further up the field and letting him take players on, then he, he will run at them all day long and he's, en- he's enthusiastic. Um, so you know he, he was a very popular a very popular player. But I think we need to acknowledge that whole city just have not developed him whatsoever. And I'm presuming Liverpool have signed him based on his potential and thought will slowly improve his game on the training ground and then, and then you know field him later on so I'm absolutely not surprised that he's not not playing week in week out at the moment I would maybe think he might get another maybe six to eight to ten starts you know between now and the end of the season Okay, uh, brilliant stuff from Les, and congratulations again on the win, Les. Uh, so, well, really well done, and well done to all the other nominees as well, some of whom also contribute to what we do here at the Anfield Wrap. If you listen to what we do here at the Anfield Wrap, I'm putting this one out for free because what's going on at Hull and what's going on at so many clubs up and down the country does need further discussion and debate, uh, frankly. From the very, very top of the game, uh, I think it's fair to say we're very much of the view, broadly speaking, at the Anfield Wrap that, you know, I've, I've, I've often sort of echoed the line that football clubs are cultural institutions and they're like national trust properties, and people in this country would not let national trust properties be run the way in which Hull City are currently being run uh, it would be anathema to everybody anathema sorry to everybody in the country were that the case and people would be absolutely furious about it uh, we do what we do here and we try to spread the word on this sort of stuff so this one will have been go- going out as an Anfield Rap free show this midnight caller uh, on the whole if you do want to support what we do it's the theanfieldrap.com forward slash subscribe and it's £5 a month it's because of those subscriptions we are able to take the time and do a number of podcasts that go spread right the way through the game thanks again to Dlez thanks to John I'm Neil Atkinson and see you soon. Sports Social Podcast Network.